Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm uh, the pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, and I'm glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and you can turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18 as we continue in our series called Highly Unlikely, the story of God using Moses despite pretty much everything. And uh, I don't know about you, but personally, this has been a very um, good series in terms of my walk uh, with God, and I hope it is the same thing for you. When I was uh, 24 years old, um, I had the opportunity to go on staff with, it was really kind of my first like real job. You know, you have those jobs out of college, and then you have a real job out of college at some point in time. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm waiting for that to happen, and I'm like, you know, 50-something. But uh, anyway, I had my first like real job out of college was uh, with an uh, organization called uh, Enjoy, and uh, some of you may know Enjoy. Enjoy was a leadership development and resource organization led by a guy by the name of John Maxwell. And uh, John Maxwell was a former pastor and businessman who uh, moved his organization from San Diego to Atlanta. And uh, right about the time that they moved there, I had some friends that worked there, and, and I came on staff. And it, it was a tremendous five years. I learned so much. Um, but one of the things that was really uh, amazing during that time was I had the opportunity to work with um, some amazing leaders. And you know, when you're in a leadership organization, I guess they try to find people who are you know, good at leading people. So anyway, so I had the opportunity at a very young age, you know, pretty much right out of college, to watch um, some fantastic men and women in the leadership skills that they had. And I was observing and listening and, and learning, but at 24, there were times with all of these great leaders that were in this organization um, that I felt very insecure about my own leadership abilities and my own abilities um, to lead people. And so during time there, my time there, I learned uh, an incredible principle, and it's almost intrinsic uh, in understanding leadership, and it's almost intrinsic in the organization that I worked for itself, and it's this principle, and I want you to remember this principle. It's something I learned at 24, but even more since then, it's this. Great leaders are made, not born. You know, you often hear someone is a natural-born leader, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but great leaders are really made, aren't they? They're, they're not born. But the problem was, is as I viewed these leaders, as I watched John Maxwell and all these leaders that he would surround himself with, and as I kind of looked and, you know, at 24 was very insecure about that and uh, about my own leadership abilities as I watched these men and women, the mistake that I made was really my vantage point as I observed them in their leadership. I, I was observing them from what I, I like to call a snapshot vantage point or a snapshot point of view. And these were men and women that had tremendous experience. These were men and women that um, you know, led organizations and companies and churches, and they had tremendous experience. And so I observed them kind of you know, at the top of their game in terms of their leadership ability. And I think that's one of the great mistakes that we sometimes make when we view those people or when we kind of observe those great leaders that we may have in our lives. I want you to think for a moment about that person or those group of people that really you have a tremendous amount of respect for in terms of their leadership ability. And I want you to think about them from a snapshot 
standpoint, from a snapshot vantage point. See, that's how I was viewing these leaders, was from this instant snapshot, a still picture of where they were then. And here's the mistake I made, and I bet you've made it too, is I assumed because they were great leaders then in that moment that they had always been great leaders, that they were born as excellent leaders. And so what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to change our thinking a little bit and change even our vantage point, even our, pers- our perspective on those people that we view as great leaders. I want us to kind of switch from this idea of the fact that, they, that you take a snapshot of where they are, maybe at the top of their game or maybe at that point in time where they have uh, kind of developed into that leader. And I want you to think a little bit more from a stop motion standpoint rather than a snapshot vantage point. You know what stop motion is? I mean, I mean we got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from stop motion. Stop motion is a, is a filming process where literally uh, 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 objects are photographed in successive positions to view what they are and what they do. And see, that's the problem is we look at great leaders and we view this snapshot, and if we always view them that way, if we always look at them from this snapshot standpoint, it can lead us to being insecure about our own leadership abilities. It can lead lead us to be insecure about who we are in Christ. And so I want to change our thinking a little bit more from a snapshot view of those leaders to a stop-motion view. Like, what caused that person to get to that point? What did they learn along the way? What kind of experiences did they have to get to where they are? Because great leaders are made, not born, right? Vince Lombardi said it best. He's the great Green Bay Packers coach, and he said it best. He said, leaders are made, they're not born. They're made by hard effort, which is the price which all of us must pay to achieve any goal that is worthwhile. Great leaders are made, they're not born. If we look at Moses, if we look at this man of God from the Old Testament that we've been studying, and we're kind of in our final week of this uh, series, Highly Unlikely, if we view him from that uh, perspective of just a snapshot of his life, I mean, we'll view him from just one standpoint. We'll view him as the man that God spoke to in a burning bush. Has that ever happened before to anyone? I don't know about you, but that's never happened to me. If we view him from that standpoint, we'll view him as the one who God spoke to in a burning bush. We'll view him as the one who led two and a half to maybe three million people, some people, some experts say, out of captivity in Egypt and towards their freedom, towards their promised land. If we view Moses from this snapshot standpoint, we'll view him as really the, the man who God used to go on behalf of God and the nation of Israel to represent them before the king or before the Pharaoh. And if we view Moses from that standpoint, we never will understand. I want you to capture this. We'll never understand what are the principles that got him from point A to point B in terms of his own leadership ability, and skills. Great leaders are made, not born, including Moses. In fact, you could even argue that Moses might have been the one who was chosen to do the greatest work for God up until this point in humanity. humanity. But you could argue that Moses was the least qualified in terms of his leadership skills. In terms of his natural leadership ability, 
Moses was probably the least qualified to do what God wanted him to do. God wanted him to lead a whole nation, a whole tribe of people, a whole generation of people out of captivity and into freedom. And he did not have the leadership ability to do so. He was probably one of the world's greatest, what I like to call, unleaders. He was not gifted for the job that God asked him to do. We've learned over these past few weeks that he was really not gifted for anything that God asked him to do. We learned in week one that his birth and the kind of circumstances surrounding his upbringing and, and the, the decision that he made to go out in kind of an impetuous decision and kill a man out there in the desert that caused him all kind of problems really kind of would have prevented him from doing great things for God, but God was greater in his life, and God used him despite that. In week two, we learned about how God's purpose really for him was to do all of these things, but he was really ill-equipped in terms of his natural just abilities to do those things that God wanted him to do. But God was greater, and God used Moses to do great things. We learned last week that he was highly unlikely because he was not prepared for the whining and complaining and the whinging, to use that word that I learned over in England, that the people that were following him uh, did throughout the whole 40 years in the desert. He wasn't prepared to deal with that. And some of you who are parents are like, yeah, I know what Moses was dealing with. I know exactly what Moses was dealing with. But today we find out that Moses may have been least equipped in terms of his natural, instinctive, and intuitive leadership skills that were required to lead this whole nation out of captivity. But God was greater, and God used him despite those lack of abilities. God developed his leadership skills and, and used him despite that fact, and we may feel the same way. We may feel ill-equipped for whatever God has on our plate in front of us right now in terms of our leadership abilities and skills. You might be a stay-at-home mom, and you're trying to lead a home of rambunctious kids. And there may be times that you say, you know what, God, I am ill-prepared to lead these children. You, you may be a businessman and you have just been promoted in your job and you're with a corporation and you may be leading a whole group of people and you may think, you know what, I've never done this before. I'm not sure that I'm equipped. I'm not sure that I have these skills. And you may be wondering if this thing that God has called you to do, you're really equipped for in terms of your leadership skills. You may be a teacher and you're leading a group of children and you're wondering if you're really equipped to lead them. You may be a student. And you have friends, and maybe God's calling you to lead them in a certain area, and you feel like you don't have those leadership skills. We're all faced with how well or poorly equipped we are to do that thing that God has called us to do. And that's the premise of today. That's the premise of today. Please, I don't want you to miss this. You see, we are all called to lead someone, aren't we? We're all called to lead in some area. It may be here in church. It may be leading a group of volunteers here. Some of you may be leading the effort to help us raise money. We'll talk about that at the end of the message today to finish our phase one construction down there at mile marker nine so that we can move into our new facility. Some of you may be leading teams of people to go out in our community and share the good news of Jesus. Some of you 
are called to lead small groups to help disciple and help walk people through different parts of God's word. And you may feel like you don't have those leadership skills and abilities to do that. But we all lead in some area, don't we? We all have the opportunity to lead, whether it's at home or whether it's at work or whether it's at church. And that leads me to today's dilemma. And it's this. This is the great dilemma that I think we all at some point in our lives deal with. In terms of leadership, what God is calling you to do doesn't match how God has naturally gifted you. What God is calling you to do doesn't match what God has equipped you to do in terms of leadership. And that's the great dilemma. That's the leadership. What I want to call this morning is the leadership gap. God's called me to do this, to be a homemaker, to be you know, a stay-at-home mom, maybe a stay-at-home dad. God's called me to lead a corporation, to lead a small business, to lead uh, an organization uh, in my church or in some community effort. He's called me to lead a school or a group of people, and he's called me to do this. I have that clear. I know that. It's for sure. It's certain. But what I'm unsure of is my abilities to do that. And there's this gap between what we believe God has called us to do and what, how we believe God has equipped us to do that. And so this morning, I want to take a look at one of my favorite passages of Moses' life. I want to take a look at one of my favorite stories of his life, and we're kind of going uh, in the chronology of him leading the nation of Israel in the desert, and we come to chapter 18, and I think it's one of the most fascinating, fascinating things, but here's the lesson that we're, learning, that we're going to learn this morning. Take a look at your notes. It's the key point. We may not have the best natural leadership skills and abilities when compared to others who do. We may not have the best natural leadership skills and abilities when compared to others who do. However, please don't miss this. We can learn how to use what God has given us to be the best leader possible and make a difference in the lives of those that we lead. We can make a difference in the lives of those that we lead if we learn how to use what God has given us to be the best leader possible. Moses finds this out in a dramatic way in Exodus 18. Okay, let me set this up a little bit for you. This is just great. The nation of Israel, all right, you remember they were held in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves. Let's just put it bluntly, that's what they were. They were held in Egypt. They were slaves. And in fact, as Moses and his three-year-old brother Aaron began to go to Pharaoh, if you remember, uh, things got even worse. When they went to, to Pharaoh and asked, you know, essentially, you know, God says, let my people, you know, let my people go, please, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. Things got even worse for this nation of Israel. I mean, they were beaten even more. In fact, their, their quotas were increased on what they needed to produce as, as a people in, in their slavery, held there in their slavery. Things got worse. And then finally, after all of these plagues happened there in Egypt, and after the death angel came and, and killed all the firstborn there in the nation of Egypt uh, who didn't do what God told them to do, uh, finally, Pharaoh says, yes, Moses and Aaron, go, get out of here, man. We don't want you here. You know, your God is doing all this stuff. And by the way, bless me as you leave, Pharaoh says in uh, Exodus 12. I love that part. And so they leave. 
And last week we talked about how they were right there at the Red Sea and they, the Pharaoh was bearing down. Pharaoh kind of changed his mind and decided he would chase after them with his army. He was bearing down on them from behind. There's this sea in front of them. How in the world is God going to save them? And he used Moses to lead them across dry land. And so now they find themselves in the desert, in the Sinai Desert. And at this particular point in time, experts tell us that it's probably been about two to three months that they've been in the desert. Now, the normal time that it would, it would have taken someone in that day and age to go from where they were in Egypt to where the promised land was, their homeland, it would have taken about 14 days, half a month. They've been there two to three months now. And they're in the desert, and the nation of Israel is beginning to whine and complain. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and God has given them water and manna, essentially bread and water. I mean, this is a jail-type life, right? This is like you're in prison, except you're out in the desert, which I think probably makes it worse. And the nation of Israel is whining and complaining, and they're moaning. And all of a sudden, in the midst of Moses trying to lead these people, his father-in-law shows up on the scene, out of nowhere. And some of you are like, that is my life. My in-laws show up at the worst possible time. You ever heard of the pop-in? The in-laws are famous for doing the pop-in. Not mine. Mine are awesome, by the way. They're probably listening to this message on the podcast, so I had to say that. No, they're awesome. My in-laws have never done the pop-in, but if you're an in-law and you do the pop-in, shame on you. But that's what Jethro, that's what Jethro does to Moses. I mean, he's trying to lead these people, and they're out in the middle of the desert, and here comes Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, and take a look at this situation in Exodus 18. We're going to look at verses 13 through 27 this morning. Now, one thing to note before we dive in is there's an indication that Jethro was pagan and that when he showed up on the scene, that uh, the example that Moses gave him of God providing led him to follow the God of Israel. So we get the impression that that day when Jethro pops in and shows up on the scene, this was, Je this was Jethro's day of salvation, okay? So they have a good night's sleep, and everything's fine, and I'm sure Moses is laying there going, I can't believe my father-in-law's here. You know, this is going to be a great week. But anyway, take a look at verse 13 in Exodus 18. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his, uh, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses answered him, verse 15, because the people will come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Do you notice a theme in Moses' response there? Me, me, I. It's all about Moses. And I'm sure as the words were coming out, Moses was like, oh, if I could have those back. This is my father-in-law. That wasn't the right answer. But it was the honest answer. Uh, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. You and these people who uh, come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me. Listen to me. 
and I will give you some advice. Jethro would have made a great pastor because he says, listen to me, listen to me, and I'll give you some great advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live. Fantastic advice. And the duties that they are to perform. But here's the real crux of the problem and the solution to the problem in verse 21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over, over, officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people over officials over thousands and hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. And I love this last verse. This is a little comedy here. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. It's like, okay, enough advice, Dad. Out of here. You go back to your own country. And Jethro left. Now, Moses, it's obvious from this situation. It's evident from this passage. Moses does not have that intuitive, natural leadership Ability. You can't say that this man who God called upon to lead two and a half million people was a natural born leader. But what did we learn at the beginning? Leaders are what? Made, not born. Take a look at your notes this morning. I want to take a look at three lessons that I believe will help you to solve the gap between what God is calling you to do and where you think there's a leadership deficiency because that's the dilemma, isn't it? That's the dilemma. Take a look at point number one. Moses wasn't a natural-born leader, but based on this and other situations, we can learn valuable lessons. The first one is this. A good leader is willing to recognize their weaknesses. A good leader is willing to recognize their weaknesses. Jethro made it extremely apparent to Moses in an instant that he had a weakness, didn't he? I mean, he didn't beat around the bush at all, did he? Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not what? Good. Moses, what you're doing is not good. Now, you could argue here that Jethro probably could have used a little more tact, but Jethro was an intuitive leader. He was an intuitive leader. Now, he was a herdsman. He led a group of shepherds and sheep, but he was an intuitive leader. Leader, He had some natural leadership skills, and Jethro shows that here. But I think what we also see here is that he had a commanding personality. He was an aggressive person. I, I have realized in my 39 years of life, when you have people in your life that you trust, that you allow them to speak truth into your life, typically they're intuitive about what you need to hear, and they're usually aggressive in the way that they say it. Isn't that true? They're usually intuitive about what they have to say, and they're usually aggressive about the way they say it. Jethro was for Moses. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can't get past the way that it was said. 
I mean, if I'm Moses here, I'm kind of stopped at verse 17 going, (laughs) what I'm doing is not good. Um, Jethro, my dear father-in-law, I have led these stinking people out of captivity across a sea, and by the way, 10 plagues, there was blood, there, was, uh, lo- there were locusts, there were flies, there was hail. Uh, we came out here, there's no food, they're famished, there's no water, and you're telling me that what I'm doing, helping these people solve problems, is not good? Really? I don't know about you, but that's probably how I would have responded. We all get defensive about our, our weaknesses, don't we? We don't view our weaknesses as strengths. We view our weaknesses as something that if people knew about them, they would be, we, that we would look even more weak, that we would feel even more insecure about our abilities and our abilities to lead people, and we get even more secure. And the problem is, is that we allow our leadership weaknesses to lead us down a path of insecurity. And when we get to that point, there is nothing that we can do good for God. It doesn't matter whether you're leading a family, leading some friends, leading a group of people in a school or a business or an organization. When you can't confront your weaknesses honestly, honestly, it'll lead to being, you'll lead to be, being insecure. Paul talks about your weaknesses. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. He is in chains. He's been put in prison, and he says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I what? Delight in weaknesses. Really, Paul? He says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. You see, he is able to cover those weaknesses. He is able to cover those leadership weaknesses that you may have. In the struggle of trying to work through leadership weaknesses, that's what's going to make you into a great leader. Struggling through those weaknesses, being aware of them, recognizing them, and working through them is what's going to make you a great leader. That's what's going to make you a great leader because leader, great leaders are made, not born. Some of you have heard the story of the butterfly, and I want to read this to you. It's an anonymous story. It's been around for years. I've heard it several times, but I find it very appropriate here. One day, a little boy found a caterpillar. He took it home and put it in a jar. He gave it some leaves to munch on and a stick to make it feel like home. He watched with delight as his caterpillar began to form a cocoon around itself. The boy was excited to learn that one day his caterpillar would become a beautiful butterfly. Some time passed and one day the boy watched as the caterpillar began to struggle to get itself free of the cocoon. The struggle continued and the caterpillar seemed weak and desperate to try, try to free itself from that very thin hole at one end of the cocoon. At one point the caterpillar seemed to have just stopped struggling and the boy wondered if it was still alive. With a heavy heart the boy could watch no longer. Worried about his caterpillar, he took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bits of the cocoon. The caterpillar, which now somewhat resembled a butterfly, emerged easily, but it had a swollen body and shriveled wings. The boy continued to watch it, expecting that at any minute the wings would enlarge and expand enough to support the body. But neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around in the jar. It was never able to fly. 
What the boy in his kindness did not understand is that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required by the butterfly to get through the opening was a way of forcing fluid from its body into the wings so that it would be ready for flight once that was achieved. It needed the struggle. I want you to catch this. It needed the struggle to overcome its weakness and to turn into the beautiful butterfly it was meant to become. It's the same thing in our, in our leadership skills. We may be weak. We may come up against challenges that seem greater than us. But we've got to face where we're weak. And we've got to do it with a humble spirit. That's what Moses had here. That's the key ingredient that he had in his life to be able to overcome his weaknesses was a humble spirit. You may be in here today. And the struggle that you're having with recognizing your abilities is that you have a prideful spirit about your weaknesses. I've been there. I know how that feels. Maybe that's the thing that God's asking you to give up today so that you can close the gap between what God's called you to do and those gifts that he's given you. Take a look at the second point this morning. A good leader knows how to listen when given advice on how to be a better leader. A good leader knows how to listen when given advice on how to be a better leader. Do you notice that Moses in this situation only responds when he's asked a question? He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't put his case together of why he's uh, having this kind of courtroom assembly out in the middle of a desert. He, he doesn't try to give all the reasons why this, that, and the other. He, he just simply answers the questions when he's asked. And when confronted with a leadership gap in his life, He simply listens to what his father-in-law says. Look at 24, verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he had, that he had said. You know, here's the thing that I found in my life. When I'm defending my leadership weaknesses, I'm talking. And I don't know about you, but I can't talk and listen at the same time. I can't talk and listen at the same time. And I would imagine that really none of us can. If we're in a position of defending our weaknesses, we are not in a position of listening to what the people that we trust in our lives are saying. Proverbs says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. You see, there's a connection between listening and learning. I found this out one day, as I've said before, I'm still in seminary. I'll probably be saying that 10 years from now to you. I'm still in seminary, and I'm at Liberty University, my alma mater is for my undergrad degree, and I'm doing this online. And in an online course, what you do is each week, uh, you, you have a, um, a lecture from the professor that you have to listen to. And it's about 15 minutes to an hour, just depending on the week. And it sets you up. And it's essential for all the work that you do throughout the week and the learning that takes place throughout the week. Well, one day, usually I do this in office, and I do it in solitude, and I do it when there's no distractions around. Well, one day I decided about halfway through the semester, I was just kind of getting like tired and sick and sick and tired of learning in seminary. And so um, I decided that I would do this at home. <laughs> And there were all kind of noises around. The kids playing, probably arguing a little bit. There was the TV was on. There were things going on outside. And so I spent the next 15 or or 20 minutes listening to this lecture. And I got to the end of it and I realized I had heard nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So you know what I learned? 
Nothing, absolutely nothing. There's a connection between listening and learning, isn't there? There's a connection between listening and learning. Moses was in a position where he wanted to learn. And so you know what he did? He listened. He listened to his father-in-law. Maybe you're here this morning and that gap between what God's calling you to do and your leadership skills and abilities comes from the standpoint that you don't want to learn. And that's the key element that Moses had, is there was a willingness to learn. I would imagine it might have been from, from desperation. I'm out here in the desert. These people are whining and complaining and whinging. And here they are, and here I am, and man, I'm, I'm ready. Hey, we get that way sometimes, don't we? We're desperate. We're desperate to learn because we are up against something that we don't know what to do. But maybe God is challenging you this morning to get in a position, get in an attitude where you are willing to learn something about a weakness. And lastly, I want you to take a look at our third point this morning, is a good leader knows how to empower others around them. This is actually the whole lesson that Jethro was trying to teach Moses. And I think it's one of the things that we can learn to help close that gap that we're talking about this morning. You see, not only did Moses face his leadership weaknesses and and listen to his father-in-law, but he empowered others around him to work as a team. And Moses went in that moment as being the sole leader of two and a half million people to a point where he decided he couldn't do everything. One of the pastors that I listen to the most is a guy by the name of Andy Stanley from North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And Andy says it this way, wherever you are, whether it's in your home, whether it's in an organization, a church, whether you run a business, he says it this way, there are always people who are smarter and better than you. And that's a lesson that we don't like to learn, is it? That's a lesson that we don't like to learn. I mean, we like things done our way, don't we? We kind of think we do things better than maybe somebody else. And you know what? It's a lot harder to train someone to do the job we're doing than it is just to do it ourselves, isn't it? See, there's a lot of risk. There's a tremendous amount of risk in, in learning that a good leader knows how to empower others around them. But Moses did it. Verse 25, he chose capable men from Israel and made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And you get the impression that things in the nation of Israel changed that day. When he faced his weaknesses, when he listened and learned from his advisor, and when he put people in place, the key element here is that he learned how to be a team player. He had an attitude of learning how to be a team player. And he decided he couldn't do this by himself. You may be in here this morning and that thing that you are facing, you've been trying for months, maybe years, to do it by yourself. And maybe what you need to do is just give that up and allow God to use others. Hey, allow God to use others' skills so that they can receive a blessing of being used by him to help you in your leadership skills. There's a gap. We all have a gap don't we? That's our dilemma this morning. We have a gap between what God has called us to do and how he's gifted us. But you know what? He's greater. He was greater for Noah when they were building the ark. He was greater for Moses right there in the middle of the desert. He was greater for Paul and Peter 
and John and James in the New Testament when they were building the church. And he can be greater in your life if you will allow him to. And if you will face your weaknesses, if you'll listen and learn, and if you will realize that you can't do it alone. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for the lessons that we can learn from Moses' life. God, he was highly unlikely to lead. This was a man who learned a leadership lesson from a herdsman, from a guy who was around sheep all the time. And God, there are many people who are out here today in this room, and God, they are doubting their ability to lead. Maybe it's in their home, maybe it's in their marriage, maybe it's with their friends, maybe it's with a coworker or a group of people they lead. And God, today, I pray that you would give them the confidence to have faith that you, God, are greater than they are. That you, God, know exactly what they need and that you, God, will not tell them to lead in a situation that you will not equip them for. And God, I pray for those who are in here today who said, yeah, my gap is huge. It is huge and I need help. I pray that they will put these practices, they will put these things that Moses did into place in their lives, God, so that they can prepare to lead better and stronger and further than they ever thought possible. God, may we as a church trust that you are the one who is greater.